The following is a lesson in a series on life, liberty, and property brought to you by Republic Keepers and is presented and discussed by the Attorney General of the Republic State of Texas, Chaplain Raymond. This lesson discusses a book by the same name, Life, Liberty, and Property, written by Charles A. Wiseman, of which can be purchased at his website, seek-info.com, at amazon.com, or small bookstores such as Brave New Books in Austin, Texas. The ISBN number for this book is 0-966-8921-9-4. Life, Liberty, and Property is an educational series for sovereign souls on the dry land, and the information about fundamental law and the unwritten constitution cannot be utilized by those individuals that are domiciled in the District of Columbia. To understand your domicile status, please review the two constitutions, two domiciles document on republickeepers.com. We hope you enjoy this lesson on life, liberty, and property. All right. Chapter 5, Life, Liberty, and Property. The book is written by Charles Wiseman. Uh, our emails to you probably gave you some references as to where this book can be purchased. It's a small book. Um, it's only about a quarter of an inch thick. But it is full of powerful information. Now today, the things we've been addressing in general will start coming home to roots. We're going to be addressing it in terms of where we are now, but first, how we got there. <coughs> Excuse me. So what we have here is the American doctrine of due process. So we're going to speak about it, how the people put it where it is. Due process in colonial America is the name of this section. It was a main priority with all the colonists that if they were to go to America, they would possess all the rights recognized in England. Though the guarantee of the old liberties was frequently made, the promises were not always well kept. Many of the royal governors sent from England were tyrannical and dishonest. The Americans were much annoyed by English laws against the manufacture of woolen goods and ironworks. The colonists had many furs and could make hats very cheaply, but no hatter was allowed to send hats from one colony to another. Much of their trade with other countries was also regulated by Parliament. The colonies were obliged, obliged, must against their will, to admit Negro slaves brought in by English merchants. They were forced to send nearly all of their leading products to England for sale. They were not allowed to buy any European goods except in England, and no foreign ships were allowed to enter their ports. Laws were made to discourage people in the colonies from making and trading in such things as were made in England. Custom houses were established by law in all principal ports of the colonies, and duties were collected for the king. But the colonists evaded these unjust laws in every way they could, 
and there was a great deal of smuggling all along the coast. The colonists realized that if they deprived of their rights of liberty and property by arbitrary laws and acts of the government, rather than by the well-established methods known as common law, then they, in effect, had no rights at all. In their disputes with their royal governors or acts of parliament, the early Americans rested their arguments on the fundamental rights of Englishmen according to the British Constitution. Their position was that the ancient English liberties confirmed by the Magna Carta came to the people of the American states as part of the common law. It was understood that this law was originally planted and implemented on the land and Parliament and the governors were bound to it. Now I'm going to repeat that sentence. It was understood that this law, the common law, as it came out of the Magna Carta, was originally planted and implemented on the land on which they were standing, and Parliament and the governors were bound to it. This line of thinking guided us to the development of American due process and the meaning of the law of the land. The colonists assumed this foundation to be immutable and looked upon the protections of Magna Carta as one of its chief parts. It was a cornerstone of the unwritten constitution of which the due process of law provision was an integral part. Upon this cornerstone, they based their claims to many of their most cherished rights, such as the right to be free from seizure of their property, the protection against unjust discrimination on the part of the legislature, the right to be free from arrest or imprisonment except by common law process, the right to make and sell their own goods, and the right to a voice in levying their taxes, and the right to a trial by jury. Though the legal processes adopted and established in America were primarily derived from the English common law, the American system contained certain changes and additions that were more favorable to liberty, free enterprise, and limited government. The colonists in America were well informed in matters of law and history. I'm going to repeat that. The colonists in America were well informed in matters of law and history. I wonder how they compare to today's people. Are we well informed in matters of law and history? They regarded the principles of Magna Carta as the ancient birthright of all Englishmen. They were greatly influenced by the works of Sir Edward Cook. Not only were his writings found more often in the colonial libraries than the books of any other authority on law or politics, but he is cited more frequently 
in their legal cases than as any other authority. Now this next sentence, paragraph I'm going to read twice. I'm going to read through it first to get the full coverage of it. Then I'm going to come back and come through it again. The concept of a fundamental constitutional law which even Parliament could not override fell upon very fertile soil in America. Consequently, the doctrine of parliamentary supremacy never developed in the United States in spite of the popularity of Blackstone's commentaries in which Blackstone supported the doctrine. The reason for this is found in the fact that Cook's, dic Cook's dictum as to the supremacy of the common law and Locke's philosophy on the limitations of government were very popular at the time when political ideas were forming in America. Locke's philosophy finds expression in the Declaration of Independence and Cook's dictum is probably the chief reason for written constitutions in the United States. Now, I feel this contains many things in it that we should carry at the front of our thinking with regard to this. The concept, I'm reading it again, the concept of a fundamental constitutional law, which even Parliament could not override, fell upon very fertile soil in America. Consequently, the doctrine of parliamentary supremacy never developed in the United States in spite of the popularity of Blackstone's commentaries in which Blackstone supported the doctrine. Taking that sentence alone, doctrine of parliamentary supremacy. This is the European style of ecclesiastical sovereignty. The parliament, the government, the crown is supreme. You cannot think anything different than they think. Now, when you're reading Blackstone, he was a great look, uh, judge and justice, but in this manner, remember that when you're reading Blackstone, beware that if you're citing it, you might be citing European-style ecclesiastical sovereignty. He said the Parliament was supreme. The Queen, the King, the people were beneath them. That's the effect of that. The reason for this is found in the fact that Coke's dictum as to the supremacy of the common law, which belonged on the land, which is where the sovereign people were, and Locke's philosophy on the limitations of government were very popular here in America at the time when political ideas were forming in America. Locke's philosophy finds expression in the direct Declaration of Independence, and it's related to Roger Williams' philosophy of liberty of conscience. You must be free to have liberty of conscience. If you do not, 
have liberty of conscience, then you are told what to think. Therefore, you must accept somebody above you, like a parliament's expression, and therefore you are not given the liberty of conscience. You must accept what they tell you to think. And many's the time I've heard people around in this day and age say, well, what does the government say about it? And it's like saying, well, I have no liberty of conscience. I cannot figure this out for myself. I must wait to hear what people who don't even know me and don't even understand my situation have to say about it. Therefore, this is a big, big dividing line between how we do things in, here in the new re-inhabited government versus how it was done in adopting the European style. There can be no question, continuing with the reading, there can be no question that the procedural elements of due process were uppermost in the minds of the colonists before the revolution. The colonial attempts to write the wording of this protection in the local statutes is evident. There was no doubt, this was no doubt prompted by the colonial governors whose notoriously arbitrary acts and administration of the penal law within the colonies caused many conflicts with due process procedures. Due process of law was their defense against all arbitrary actions of government. Repeating, due process of law is the defense against all arbitrary actions of government. Never lose it. Never give it away. In the 170 years before the American Revolution, Magna Carta was referred to and its protection invoked in every one of the colonies. An investigation of these incidents will show that the due process provision was cited more often than any other, and that it was indeed considered the heart of the venerable document. The position which Magna Carta occupied as a part of the fundamental law in the colonies is significant. From the earliest times, the term Magna Carta was generically, was used generically for any written document of fundamental importance. Thus, in 1638, the people of Massachusetts desired a body of liberties like the Magna Carta. In fact, some nine provisions of Magna Carta were in one way or another, incorporated into the body of liberties. The body of liberties was actually drawn up in answer to a positive demand that judges should not act in an arbitrary manner, and that administrative officials and the legislature should be restrained in their actions. The 39th article of Magna Carta thus became a common provision found in colonial cases and charters. 
in the fundamental constitution for the province of East New Jersey, drafted in 1683, the guarantee of the 39th article of Magna Carta is evident. This is section 19 of said constitution. That no person or persons within the said province shall be taken and imprisoned or be deprived of his freehold, free custom or liberty, or be outlawed or exiled in any other way destroyed, nor shall they be condemned or judgment passed upon them, but by lawful judgment of their peers. Neither shall justice nor right to be bought or sold, deferred or delayed to any person whatsoever, in order to which by the laws of the land all trials shall be by twelve men. Likewise, the Charter of Fundamental Laws of West New Jersey, adopted in 
in the Dutch and Quaker colonies. He became interested in this protection in a very personal way in 1670 when he was brought before a London magistrate. He was indicted together with William Meade for having addressed a crown in a London street which it was claimed resulted in a public disturbance. The jury refused to bring in a verdict convicting him, whereupon the judge fined both prisoners and the jury for contempt of court. Penn contended that he was not allowed a fair trial and that he was given no copy of the indictment before being required to enter his plea and that he was threatened with contempt of court if he spoke in his own defense. That the jury was threatened with imprisonment if they acquitted him and that he was not allowed a jury trial on the question of contempt of court. Penn asserted that according to the fundamental laws of England, no Englishman shall be fined or immersed but by the judgment of his peers or jury. Thus, the actions of the court expressly contradicts the 14th and 39th chapter of the Great Charter of England. Penn recited the law of the land in Edward Cook's interpretation of it, saying that the provision allows no less than a trial by due process. He left no doubt that Magna Carta was a part of the fundamental law in England and thus America. He stated, So heinous a thing was it esteemed of old to endeavor a deprivation or subversion of these ancient rights and privileges by acts of Parliament inconsistent with our great charter. Parliaments are said to err when they cross its bounds. William Penn thought the best remedy for legislative violation of due process of law was to be found in an enlightened public. Consequently, he undertook the task of educating people in England and America regarding their rights in this respect. So successful was he that henceforth the right of trial by jury seems not to have been questioned. This then is another of the many illustrations found in history where the establishment of fundamental law and individual rights became the fruit of an act of government corruption. Due process has often been fortified by the lessons of history. Uh, let me pause for a minute and go back to that preceding paragraph. This then is another many illustrations found in history where the establishment of fundamental law and individual rights became the fruit of an act of government corruption. Due process has often been fortified by the lessons of history. Somebody asked you where it came from. It came from the real judgment of the people of experience in what was right and what was wrong. As a result of Penn's trial, the colonial records show that the colonists generally considered a regular indictment as an essential element to criminal proceedings according to the process of law. 
the damage which might be done to innocent parties by forcing them to stand trial before being regularly indicted was well understood. And unless indictments were made according to the recognized rules of the common law, they would be of little value as a protection. Now, we'll continue with the American Revolution's role in life, liberty, and property and the American Due Process tomorrow. I'm going to begin unmuting. So if you have questions regarding this subject matter, today's class material, Um, two more to go. Okay, you're all unmuted. If there's any questions regarding how to raise your hands, you have a question, Wayne? There's your hand. Okay. If there are no questions, then we can record that we can... somebody want to speak? Russell? Yes. In regards to the Magna Carta here, if that is still the law of this land, one why we went to a constitution which hadn't been ratified rather than to the Magna Carta. We did what? In re-inhabiting the Republic, why did we go to the Constitution, which had not been properly ratified, rather than uh, using the laws of the using the document of the Magna Carta? Well, the other choice did we have for the government of the Republic, state of Texas? Well, I don't mean state of Texas. I mean the 1777 document or constitution that we adopted? Have you read our authority of law? Have I read the authority of law? On our website? No, I have not. Have you taken the course? Uh, this is the first course I've been introduced to. Well, it's on the, it's on the website to be listened to. Okay. It's on the website to be listened to. The authority of law is how the Constitution came to be written. The Magna Carta is in its table of authorities. Okay. You can't have the Constitution without the Magna Carta. It's not an either-or. All right, I will go to the site and take that course if I can. Yes. It's not an either or. We don't we didn't start in a vacuum. Okay. The fundamental law is the Magna Carta. Do you remember the one I stopped on this morning about parliamentary procedure for um supremacy? Correct. Do you remember yes. an earlier one I stopped on and said both governors and legislatures? are bound to obey the Magna Carta? Yes. 
so are state legislatures and governors. It is as much a law governing their actions when they're in office as is the Constitution. It is only with the authority of the Magna Carta that the Constitution exists. The people's law created it. The people wrote it. The people ratified it. And what is the fundamental law of the people? That's why you've got to understand authority of law. They were acting under the authority of the fundamental law when they sat to write the Constitution. There is no provision of the Constitution that can exceed the limitations of fundamental law. They have no right to have any law that bypasses trial by jury and due process. They can take nothing. Now, the difference is whether the, the jury we're talking about here belongs to the people. Jury of their peers, not one run by the government. There's been a gradual move to make educate you that the juries are run by the government. How would you ever enforce fundamental law if not only are they run by the government, but they pay you so much a day for being there? So, and this is the important thing to understand. Authority of law. If you don't have authority, you, do, you cannot write the law. Where did the people that wrote the Constitution get their authority? They really knew. It said the people in America understood this. Totally. Uh, let me go back here. The colonists in America were well informed in matters of law and history. They regarded the principles of Magna Carta as the ancient birthright of all Englishmen. So when they sat down to write a constitution, that was brought to bear. They did not violate that. And so the any constitution, it was Coke, you know, that led to the saying, write it down because people forget it and government tends to uh, play games. I was telling this to somebody the other day and said it's like they, like the people said, like the baron said to King John, now listen here, we told you that this was the law and you continued to break the law. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to write it down this time so that you won't forget it. So we don't have to keep coming back here and getting after you. Well, he was such a bad guy, he continued anyway. But the point is, the authority of law is the Magna Carta gives you the principles that are used 
topics that are embedded in the written constitutions. And that's why this debate over parliamentary supremacy, the reason Coke or Cook wanted written constitutions. In England, they still try to practice parliamentary supremacy. Now remember, the sovereign is the one that's supreme, and the sovereign is defined, defined to be the one who speaks to God. So when you're a subject of that, they tell you what you think. The whole concept of... Anybody know the meaning of heresy? Deciding for oneself what one thinks. So when you're a heretic, it means you're refusing to believe what the elite are telling you. In their world, they think you're insane. In fact, in socialist countries, when you do that sort of thing, that was the last resort for getting rid of you. If they couldn't catch you violating the law, they would declare you mentally incompetent. Put you in a place where they could keep you locked up. They didn't want your thinking out. Heresy. You were a heretic. Being a heretic was a crime. So the point is, the authority of law, it was with the authority granted the people that they were able to write the Constitution and the writing of it was it was insisted that the people ratify it not any state or colonial legislatures or parliaments they intended for the people to be the supreme power on the land and so they were free except the parliament the fundamental law is the law of the people. The fundamental law is the law that governs both the people and any government they create. That's the law. That's the strictest answer. Any other questions? Thank you. Okay, you want to stop the recording? Oh, okay.